This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning. You're listening to Pressing Matters on BFM 89.9. This is the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Keith Kam. Now, the first casualty when war comes is truth, and that is a quote from 1918 by U.S. Senator Hiram Warren Johnson and echoed many times since then. More than a century later, it still resonates with us. This week, I'm speaking to Andriy Taranov. He is a member of the managing board of the Public Broadcasting Company of Ukraine, also known as Suspin, which means public, and he is speaking to me from Kiev, Ukraine's capital city. So, Andriy, dobriden. Hello. It's a great pleasure to be present on air at your station now. Uh, well, I must say that uh, physically I'm speaking from Lviv now, from bomb shelter. This is the reserve studio we use uh, for uh, transmissions when uh, there are risks of air raids. So it's more or less calm last days, but uh, this is the place where we can safely speak for a while, uh, not being interrupted for sure. Yeah, so that that just gets me into, you know, it's already more than two months since Russian troops entered your country. Um, what What is it like in the, in the country today? Well, it's like never before, for sure. Uh, well, and uh, yes, so the, the situation is uh, very multidimensional now and complicated. But I, I think the, well, the brightest side of that is how the whole of Ukrainian society consolidated around our fight for freedom and for keeping Ukraine an independent and pro-European state. So you're broadcasting from uh, Lviv right now, and that's the city that's not too far away from the Polish border, right? Well, we actually have several studios. The Mm -hmm. Kiev studio was uh, closed for first several weeks, but now uh, we have uh, several centers, including Kiev, has opened. Uh, and our main task is to assure that we um, provide uh, our people with the information 24 by 7 without any interruption. So we have several reserve centers around the country. What's... We also have the widest uh, correspondence networks, and these uh, our colleagues are doing their reporting from every every city around, including the frontline places, and we still have some people that are in occupation and are still reporting from there. I wonder if you could just uh, paint me a picture on, on how operations are like um, today compared to how, how it was before, before the, the invasion. Um, how do you guys operate in a situation like, like this? Well, if, 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 you might, if I might bring you some uh, brief, very brief history of the thing. So yes, please. We are the of the Ukrainian Soviet state television and radio. And, uh, well, speaking about the situation before the Maidan, before 2014, it was exactly like you gave me your notes, uh, uh, like the state company that would service whatever government and whatever politicians would like to be there. Uh, it was a rigid post-Soviet structure that uh, had no future in this format. And after 2014, there was a huge reform that changed basically everything. 
and we we had a, a new law that uh, changed the way the company operates so we went from the state broadcaster to true public broadcaster we do not have to report on our editorial policies and uh, it took several years because it's a huge company to reform it but for within the last couple of years we used to be uh, monitored by several independent organizations and the news from Suspilne were a top like number one in terms of balance and independence uh, uh, which was a great success for this reform so before the war it was uh, like a step by step reforming of a big company into the standard of what the public broadcaster should be in contemporary society so um i mean obviously you guys are the voice of of the government i'm i'm just curious to 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 know because in 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 malaysia um we we have a public broadcaster which is essentially uh the voice of uh, the ruling government of the day how do you guys draw the line between what can be considered propaganda and what can be considered, uh, you know, fair and balanced reporting? What keeps you guys um, in, in, in check? Before yeah. the war, we were not the voice of the government. And this was the law. And there was a, uh, an observatory board, uh, the, 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 the editorial policies. It was a great setup that uh, kept us, uh, that secured independence of the public broadcaster of Ukraine. And surprisingly, it worked very well. And it's proved by several uh, independent sources that track the situation. So uh, actually, it was Suspilner that uh, launched the new level, I would say, of discussions uh, even in the elections period. So no one had their, well, first say, or, the, or there was no obligations from the government in this case. It's really amazingly successful part of the story. Uh, and Well, me personally, I worked in the media market for 25 years right. for private stations. I just joined the team last year, so uh, it's not like, uh, well, um, I was looking at that out from outside for a while, and it was surprisingly great uh, difference made. Uh, during the war time, actually, we definitely we have martial law, mm-hmm. so we have some limitation. As uh, uh, but we don't have uh, we don't have like what what you would call like well structured censorship. There's no military people behind me and behind any of our journalists. You know, well, I'm joking, but uh, it's serious. Yes, yeah. uh, we uh, the good thing the good well actually how the information. Space is structured now. Is that the uh, we have a conglomerate of uh, public, state, and private broadcasters who run uh, the uh, United Marathon twenty four by seven, like it never stops. We have like six hour shifts on uh, the all uh, that are broadcasts on all the major stations that used to be entertainment and news. Whoever there's some part of the market that still gives some basic entertainment. And we too, we have culture, cultura, the culture channel, uh, that is now more about, we, we put there more of kids, educational and the programming, you know, for, for the people who are just left behind and need some basic things to retract from use for sure. Like kids, grandmas and uh, these people uh, to, to keep them from depression. But in terms of the informational uh, workflow, uh, like we all 
have uh, pieces of this air and we all produce the news. We have daily dialogue with the government. We have some limitations of the martial law, but it's not about like strict censorship and following uh, like one party or one politician interests. This is a good side of that for sure. How is Suspin funded? Suspilne is funded by the state budget. Right. But uh, according to the law, there's a number uh, of the regulations that keep uh, uh, keep the government from controlling it. So they are like obliged to do some things that uh, assure like minimal existence of the company. They cannot just call our CEO and say, hey, you will not get your mm-hmm. salary if you don't put someone on air. <laughs> It's impossible here now. That's good news for us. What is Suspil's reach like in uh, Ukraine? Because one, one thing that I've learned um, from, from, from the events of the past two months is that not everyone in Ukraine speaks Ukrainian. Uh, there are many Russian speakers. Does your, does your reach um, get to the diverse community in, in ensuring that the uh, Kiev narrative gets across? Well, uh, this is this is a great Moscow narrative about the Russian speakers here. Right. You know, uh, well, I am ethnically almost half Russian, and Russian used to be my native tongue, and I speak both languages from uh, childhood. This speaking about language itself, it's there's hardly anyone here who doesn't understand. Uh, well, there's no one who doesn't understand, and hardly anyone who doesn't speak some Ukrainian. Uh, and this is uh, not this is neither ethnic nor religious conflict. This is the war of the zombie Soviet Union that tries to impose the power it used to have. So look look at the guys. Uh, as soon as they get the Russian army, they put back Lenin's and they put the Soviet Union banners on top of our cities. Look, it's nothing to do with the language issues. And currently, well, they, they, the Ukrainian television used to be. 70%, if I'm not wrong, uh, Ukrainian speaking by the law. We used to be 100% Ukrainian for years. Mm-hmm. And uh, according to, we just had, like two weeks ago, we just had a, uh, a small research trying to test how, how the situation is going around us. And there was more than 70% people who told that they use uh, the news from different Suspilna platforms because we are on radio, television, right. and the digital platforms. There's more than 70% of uh, the population that told that they uh, use our news either daily or several times a week. And of those people, more than 80% told that they trust us. And, well, speaking about the radio, for example, uh, in the occupied territories, we often remain the only source of the information from Ukraine. When they cut off mobile communications and Internet, we still have AM broadcast. We, we used to think it's orthodox and no one listens to that, you know. We were planning actually to switch it off this year or next year. And uh, currently, suddenly, it appeared a part of national security and of the way we are the only ones who tell people in Mariupol when the humanitarian corridor yeah. is open to Ukraine. And that's the power of radio for you there. <laughs> um, I'm talking to Andriy Taranov, a member of the managing board of the public broadcasting company of Ukraine. In a little while, we'll find out how correct and accurate information and how that is defined is disseminated across Ukraine and indeed the rest of the world. I'm Keith Kam. This is Pressing Matters on BFM 89.9. This is Pressing Matters on BFM 89.9 and I'm Keith Kam. Talking to me from Ukraine's city of Lviv this week, we have Andriy Taranov, a member of the managing 
Managing Board of the Public Broadcasting Company of Ukraine. We are going to talk about the truth in times of war, bearing in mind that this information can definitely cost lives. Now, Andri, in Russia, there is a move to ensure that there is a certain narrative disseminated to the public there. Talk to me about uh, Ukraine's strategy. Just before the break, you told me that information can still be received via AM radio. You know, what sort of information are people receiving? Well, people get the news uh, live uh, and, well, Ukrainian strategy in these circumstances is very simple. We speak truth loudly. Uh, it's, well, it's uh, <laughs> it could be an easy job if it were not for the war, for sure, because uh, we have no issues without... We, we have just the limitation from the military, because mm-hmm. definitely, as you told, the sparing of some sensitive information may cost lives. Right. So there are limitations from the military that we cannot put the pictures on some information that can, uh, well help uh, Russian army but everything else is just uh, we just describe what's going on and we have well we have too much information actually it's not a matter of trying to figure out which narrative to use it's just a matter of processing it on time Ukraine, as you said also earlier, that uh, you, you guys are effectively under martial law and uh, President Volodymyr Zelensky has signed a decree to implement a unified information policy. Can you just uh, let us know what, what this means? Does this mean all, even private uh, TV and radio broadcasting stations come under one banner? Well, the decree was actually the part of... Uh, <laughs> this is a way to formalize this uh, industry agreement that went through the first months of the war, actually. Uh, it's again, it's the good side of that. It's a good example of the private and state partnership because it's about this uh, marathon I was talking in the first mm-hmm. one before, and uh, it was operating already. And it was a p- private state partnership where we created this content. And the president's decree just uh, stated that this is a fact and these are the companies that produce it. And uh, this is how it goes on air just to solve, you know, there's a, well, in normal life, there's plenty of copyright issues, uh, licensing issues, etc. what concerns media. So it's not like one channel can easily broadcast the news on the, on the other one for sure. Yeah. So uh, this uh, actually in our everyday life, this decree didn't change anything. It was just a constatation of the fact that we move on and we produce the news marathon on all the major stations, no matter private or state or public. But I do get that prior to the invasion, there are certain parts of Ukraine which, well, um, controlled by by, by forces that are loyal to Moscow. What sort of information are they putting out uh, over there? And do they come under Ukrainian law? Well, uh, the, if you mean the pieces of Donetsk and Lugansk regions right. that were under Russian control uh, after 2014, yeah. uh, they follow the Russian textbooks exactly. They try to cut connections to the Ukrainian media, but we were uh, transmitting there through some pieces of radio networks and through digital channels for sure. They were never very effective in terms of uh, cutting the internet uh, connections and access to social networks. Uh, again, this is where I would say that our social platforms grew like well, hundreds of percents since the start of the war. And they used to be a pretty important source of information for 
our people that uh, were in occupied territories before the war. What is Suspium's um, uh, strategy towards uh, social media? Uh, well, we we actively develop digital platforms. Right. Uh, we have uh, any formats like uh, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, Vi- Viber, Telegram. The Telegram channels appear to be the fastest growing uh, source of information for the people. And uh, our teams did a great job when the war started, actually. Like Suspilna Kharkiv was the first Telegram channel that started systematically informing people about the air raids. And uh, they, they are more than 100,000 people, like the local community Telegram channel is more than 100,000 people now. We have more than a million people covered by the Telegram channels. Well, it's a conservative estimate, like no, we don't add it up. Uh, but uh, this is where uh, we, we invested a lot into independent local journalism before the war. It was part of the strategy. And we've invested a lot into the digital first content production to make sure that uh, people can produce local and hyper-local news. And, well, we were on the way, but now it pays off very well because people can deliver the information through as long as it's it's available. Now that the Ukrainian government is mostly in control of uh, most of of the country, apart from the east and southeast, What's the damage like to the infrastructure and, and, and how effective can you get your message message across? Well, we, we've been, tar- you know, we moved here from the bomb shelter in Kiev. Yes. And we've been target of one of the first attacks. There were two rockets targeting the TV transmission and the TV center itself. They actually missed some TV center. They're very bad. At, uh, their military side is very bad. Uh, but uh, we were targets. Uh, our TV towers were targets in many cities. Uh, they definitely, when they occupy some pieces of land, they go and switch off uh, the transmissions of the on-air uh, channels. So uh, we, well, it, it's a strange situation that you can't be safe anywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. I had three rockets flying over my head when I was back from Kiev to Lviv, actually, two, a couple of weeks ago. It was an attack on railroad station. Uh, I was just out of the train, 10, ten minutes uh, out of the carriage. So um, you, they, um, uh, while, while they still have long-range missiles, you can't be safe anywhere. And if you are media, they do understand the importance of media for sure. So going forward, post-war, what role does uh, Suspilna see, see yourselves uh, playing in, in rebuilding Ukraine? Well, I think uh, it will be very important that we uh, keep delivering the news to the communities, the furthest communities, the mostly affected ones, for sure, helping people. We we do a lot of documenting of the war crimes now, so we have lots of plan of producing, for sure, the documentaries, the uh, talk platforms that will discuss the ways to rebuild Ukraine. We will invest a lot into the hyper-local news further on so that uh, we will have the people not only in big towns. We, we do have the widest coverage uh, network of reporters today, but we want it to be even wider so that people can uh, see what's going on in every small town when it comes to reconstruction. So again, that we this is a function of media controlling the path of rebuilding, for sure. And uh, it's a part of uh, the strategy to help people get their information fast. We, we need to 
produce a lot of local information so that people don't get panicked, so that people understand what's going on around them in their neighborhood. It's not like they want to listen to something from the government every day, you know. I have to ask you um, something which I've learned from um, uh, speaking to some local, well, Ukrainian people in in Malaysia. They talk about Slava Ukraini, that slogan. What does that mean? And, uh, you know, what sort of response have you got in terms of generating the patriotism? Well, Slava Ukraini is just glory to Ukraine. It's, uh, it's, 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 well, you mentioned 1918. It's like a little more than 100 years old to my understanding. It might be even older, but I'm not sure. Uh, but it was widely used when Ukraine filed forth for independence between the world wars. So, well, it is just a piece of brand book for, <laughs> for Ukrainian citizenship now. <laughs> not connected to any political party or any political orientation. You see, it's just a setting up that you are Ukrainian. It's a patriotic call. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's very good. Well, again, it was a funny Russian narrative that it's connected to the far right, etc. Uh, you should know that far rights uh, never made, well, they, they never made it to parliament. They never had 5% of Ukrainian votes for parliament within these years. So uh, as funny as it is, I, I try to understand how people abroad can believe in this trend. Because uh, uh, actually, well, we have much less of far rights than any other European country, I would say. Uh, so it's just uh, now the, the Russians made much more for consolidation of the Ukrainian political nation than any other political leader or political party inside Ukraine. Now everyone feels the same, you know. And, well, speaking about the languages, there are many people switching to Ukrainian of those you would never expect that they, they, they don't feel comfortable about that in some cases. But the mayors of big eastern cities that uh, used to promote uh, like more liberality in these issues, and blah, 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 blah. there was normal political discussion around how to uh, evolve in this process. There was no, like, uh, decrees on that. Uh, now it, it's like overwhelming support uh, around uh, like the, the Ukrainian, pro-Ukrainian, pro-European agenda. Thank you very much, uh, Andri. I've been speaking to Andri Taranov, a member of the managing board of the public broadcasting company of Ukraine. This has been Pressing Matters and I'm Keith Kam. Stay tuned for the 10 a.m. news bulletin coming up next. This is BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.